the, the reality of Christianity, despite our culture's push for us to be individualistic, the reality of Christianity is it's a team sport. It's, you know, something that we do together. It's never was meant to be. And, and, and I would argue that it really can't ever be lived out alone. Living out the Christian life and being a Christian means that you're a part of the family. It means that you gather with others who have the similar relationship and the similar family heritage as you. It is a team sport where we need each other and we need to help others. It, it, it's, uh, you know, when I was thinking about a team sport that I could use to kind of use as an illustration maybe for the church, of course I fell into my favorite sport, football. And uh, I want to thank uh, Rich Brown for last week. He put uh, a Seahawk on the screen, I heard. So that's good. I appreciate him supporting the great Seahawk uh, football team who will probably be Super Bowl champions uh, uh, this year. So it's going to be great. <coughs> thank you. Um, I mean, the 49ers will be a close last place. But <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Uh, anyway, so football team is uh, similar to... Uh, the church, in a sense. And, and I played football in high school, one of my favorite sports. That's part of why I love the sport today is because I played it, right? And I kind of understand some of the nuances of the game and got to participate in it. But I've also coached football a little bit at a middle school level, which was a lot of fun for me and helped me. And, and in football, there's a lot of different positions, Right? You've got running back, you've got you know, uh, linemen, you've got you know, defense, you've got cornerbacks, you've got quarterbacks, you've got tight ends, you've got wide receivers. You've got all these different positions, right? Uh, but there are also a lot of different, you know, like squads. You know, you have an offensive squad, right? And they're, they're kind of together. And then you've got a defensive squad, and they're all in the field at different times. And you've got your special teams. And, and so in all of these different positions and all these different squads, you, you need different abilities and talents to be able to do it. Uh, matter of fact, even within a position, there are different skill sets that, that can be applied to that position. Now, I was in high school a running back, right? And so there's really two kinds of running backs. Uh, there's the, the, run, the running back that runs angry, right? He's the one that's always looking for contact. Uh, he sees somebody on the other team with a different jersey. He's like, I'm going to go right through this guy, right? I'm just going to plow him and inflict as much pain on him as possible. Even though he's trying to tackle him, it's like, no, I'm not letting them come. I'm going after them, right? That's one type of running back. The other type of running back is the one who runs scared. They're afraid of contact. They don't want to get touched by anybody. And so they are going to run as fast as they can and as far away from the defense as they possibly can in order to get as many yards as they can get. I ran scared. So thankfully the Lord had given me the gift of being fairly fast, and so I oftentimes was able to outrun or run around or get away from the defense so that they couldn't touch me or tackle me or hurt me in any way, please. Um, so anyway, but in a football team, there's all these different positions, all these different you know, types of players that are needed. But in practice, it is interesting how practice works out because in practice during the week, most of the practice time, you spend actually apart from the whole team. So the running backs go over here and they work on running through holes and you know, running around defenders and through defenders, that kind of thing. And wide receivers are over here and they're usually with the quarterbacks and they're, they're running routes to you know, run out and then you know, working on catching the ball and those kind of things. Linemen, you know, they're, they're usually working on blocking and, and, and being able to keep you know, the defense out and not so that you know, the quarterback doesn't get sacked and these kind of things. And so, but we break into all of these different position areas. 
and we have different position coaches who spend time coaching each of those position areas. But there was one day of practice every week that was different. And that one day of practice was Monday. See, Monday was film day. Monday was not a day that we would spend on the field. No, Monday was the day that we were brought into a classroom. We all sat on desks around the room. The lights were turned down, and in the, in the front and the middle there was a TV. See, Monday was film day. But also, the, the, another different thing about Monday was that it was the day that we heard the most from the head coach. Right? I mean, the rest of the time, we were, it was always the, the, the position coaches that we heard the most from. Even, even when we were doing a scrimmage, it was the position coach that would come out and chew us out if we did something wrong or praise us if we did something right. But on Mondays, on film day, the position coaches sat and kind of observed and watched, but the head coach, he had the stage. He was the one who was coaching that day. Finally, the other different thing about Mondays was that we were all together. Again, we weren't split up in divisions, and this wasn't even just a, it wasn't just, you know, end of the practice coming together for scrimmage. No, the whole practice, we were together as a whole team. And this is similar to what we do on Sunday mornings as a church. That we're, we're a team. We have different skills, and we have different abilities. We have different squads that, we, that we're a part of and that we play. We have different people that speak into our hearts and our lives throughout the week. But on Sunday mornings... We show up here to come together as a team. And we're going to spend the whole day, at least an hour and a half, together <laughs> as a team. And we're here in a different place. We're not, we're not on the field. No, no, we're, we're stepping off the field. We're sitting in desks, coming to learn something new, to, to figure out, okay, well, how do we do this different? Or what do we need in order to fight this battle? But also we come to listen to the head coach. It's, it's Jesus that we come to listen to today. It's, it's not me. It's not even, you know, the other people in our, in, our, in our relationships and friendships here. We come to hear from Jesus. What does he have to say? Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is in essence addressing film day. He starts here in chapter 11 and is going to continue for the next few chapters talking about when we gather together as a church, how do we do this? And the Corinthians were messing it up pretty bad. There was so much conflict going on in this church. There were cliques that were forming. There were divisions among them. And so they would gather on film day, and they were like bickering with each other. They have, you know, the group over here, the wide receivers in the corner, and they're all talking and laughing about the linemen. And, and you got the defensive ends that are over here, and they're having their conversations and having a good time. And, of course, the linemen, they're over here just trying to figure out where the snacks are. And, you know, this kind of thing, you know. <laughs> See, as a running back, I can do that. See, that's fun, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it, the whole church was divided, and they were in these, all these cliques. And so Paul is addressing this. He says, look, when we come together on Sundays, we need, there's a certain way that we should behave. And so he's addressing this important issue, and he starts addressing it with chapter 11, verses 17 to, um, 17 to 34. Let me read it for you. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
for in the first place when you come together as a church, I, can, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be fra- factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat. Come together to eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. There are four tasks of film day that correlate with with Paul's teachings here on communion. Looking back, looking around, looking forward, and the walkthrough. On Mondays, film day, the first thing we would always do once we got settled into our seats is the TV was turned on and we began to review the film from the previous game. Now this beginning of the, of, of, of the film day was never a necessarily, it was never a fun time because the head coach was standing in front of us and he wasn't, we weren't just going to watch the whole game. Oh no, 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 no. He's watched the game already like 10 or 15 or 20 times and he has broke it down and he's got a bunch of little clips that he wants to show us. And when he's, and the clips that he wants to show us are where we messed up. Now, it could be fun, you know. Some, I, mean, I mean, we had a guy in our team, his name was Routon. It was his last name. And it just rings in my ears constantly because head coach and other coaches as well, I, I, I just remember this phrase, and I'll never forget it. Gold darn it, Routon. <laughs> our head coach was awesome. He never swore. I think he did probably on his own, but he never swore when he was with us. It was always, gosh darn it, or gold darn it, or oh, come on, you can't do that, or whatever. But he would never cuss, right? And so I just remember this because Routon always did something wrong, and he always got in trouble. 
And so film day usually included at least one, gosh darn it, Routon, what were you doing here? And, and then, of course, we would all kind of laugh because it was just a reality that he always did something wrong. But, you know, we never laughed too hard because sometime coach would bring out one of your own mess-ups. And in front of the whole team, he would show the video of you missing the tackle. Gosh darn it, Vandy. I was Vandy. Never Vandy, Mark. Vandy, what are you doing? Right? And, and so I, I would hear that, and you're just like, oh, man, yeah, that's me. I blew it. Oh. And then sometimes you'd see yourself make mistakes, and it was in a different you know, clip, and you're, you're hoping that he doesn't point you out. He actually ends up pointing somebody else out. You're right. But, but it's looking back to, to, to recognize our mistakes. We need, as Christians, to reflect when we come to Sunday mornings. We need to reflect on the past. When we come to the communion table, the first thing we have to do is review the tape. Our Christianity, our world today, does not like the term sin or repentance. We want everybody just to be loved, and Jesus is all about love, and it's just all about love, and we just forget about everybody's sin, and it's no big deal. Folks, it's because of our sin that Jesus had to die. And if we don't remember our sin, we will never respect the cross. So the first thing we have to do is always review the tape. We have to take some time and allow Jesus to reveal to us where we are weak, where we've messed up, where we've sinned. And when we're reviewing the past, when we're reflecting on our mistakes, there's no room for pride. We can't just come to church without some kind of preparation, thinking that, oh, I'm good. I'm ready to see Jesus today because, oh, man, I am so perfect. We, we can't come to church and the table without some reflection on the sacrifice. So what we get when we begin to reflect on the past is we get a proper humility. We, we recognize that we're not perfect. We recognize the greatness as well in the sovereignty of Jesus. Right? Now, now Jesus' death means something when we understand our sin. Now it's a big deal. We gain humility. We gain gratitude. And we realize, Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, while we were sinning, while we were in the midst of our sinful practice, Jesus died for us. And of course, that humility then leads to repentance. We recognize that sin and we recognize what it did to Jesus and we repent. The other thing about Monday, film day, was that after we'd gone through the, some of the tape to look at our bad things, we would also then begin to go through the tape again and look at the good things. And what the coach always did is he'd put together some clips where he would help us, you know, I, I remember, you know, I ran for a lot of touchdowns, thank the Lord. It was a lot of fun, right? But, you know, and so I could get really prideful about that because, man, I'm so fast, no one could touch me, man, look at me, right? But you know what the coach did a great job of doing for me on film day in the second part here was he helped me to look around and recognize that I needed those big guys looking for snacks in the corner in order to block the defense so that I could get the touchdown. And so the next part was just looking at film and he was showing the good things that we did. And he would point out the block. He would actually ignore the touchdown. He would just point out the block and say, look at this amazing block right here. This guy did a great job. 
Look at this great tackle over here. I mean, but he would have never gone there unless that first linebacker had gone in and taken on the fullback. So he helped us to recognize that we needed each other, that, that we couldn't do it on our own, that none of us would be successful if we were just out there by ourselves against 11 guys. And we as a church, when we come together on Sunday mornings, this is again a part of what we do. It's about recognizing the value of having a team around us. The different gifts and the different abilities. The different things that people can bring to the table. and The encouragement that that can bring to us. But the recognition that without some of them, we wouldn't be able to be successful out there in the world. That we need that encouragement. You know, some Sundays we show up and we're just beat up. And we need people, right? And we need the church to pour into us. But sometimes we can come back from a week and thinking, oh man, I got this, I got it under control, man, this is great. So, all right, I'm going to come to church and boy, am I going to, you know, take care of things. Yeah, I don't need anything. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy this, you know, kind of talk about my glory. <laughs> but that's not it. Those who get the privilege of glory are only getting that privilege because of those who have been working beside them. So he leads us to, to, to value the team. And when we're in this part of our Sundays, there's no room for division. There's no room for criticism. So many churches today are not just divided because they go to different buildings, but they're divided within their own church, their own services. There's people that they're avoiding because of conflict and they, I just I hope I don't have to see that person I hope I don't have to talk to that person there's no room for criticism when Jesus is leading us to recognize the value of our team there's also no room for isolation you know I'm just not going to go to church and this is, this is an increasing popular response in Christianity today in America I, we don't need the church you know the church is just messed up and so I'm just going to stay home and not be a part of it. I'm just going to have church. I can have church in my own living room. I mean, really. I mean, it's not about going to a church. It's, I could, well, well, you know, that's true, I suppose. That's not the way Christianity is designed. We realize as we recognize the gifts and the abilities of others that we are all equal. In two ways. First of all, we are all equally sinful. See, Jesus just didn't die for me. And he didn't just die for someone else. Right? He died for all of us. All of us needed Jesus to die for us. James chapter 2, verse 10, great passage. It talks about the fact that if we break one part of the law, we have broken all of the law. In other words, if we bear false witness... We have, it's like we have broken the other laws, like adultery and murder. We're all equal at the foot of the cross because we all needed Jesus to die for us. But also we're equal in another way. We all are equally the child of God. We all equally have been received and accepted by God. We all equally are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. The 
The other thing that we learn about the value of the team is that our, of our interde interdependence. That again, that we need each other, that we need people to pray for us and to care for us. We need people to lift us up. We need people to be there for us, to, to step into our life. But also we need to do our part. We have a role to play on this team. We can't just say, you know, I'm not very skilled, I'm not very, I don't have a lot of ability, or I don't have a lot of gifts or whatever, and so I'm just going to isolate myself, or I'm just going to come and receive. No, we all have a part to pay, play. We all have a role in this team. You know, it's, uh, on, in football, just one guy misses his assignment. That's all it takes to mess up a play on defense or offense. One guy. You know, one guy misses his block. And he breaks through. And even though there's a huge hole for the running back to run through, oh my gosh, it was huge. He gets sacked, right? He gets tackled because one lineman just didn't do his job, you know, right? It would have been another touchdown, by the way. Um, anyway, we all need to, we all have a part to play. We all have a role to play. We have to do our assignments. Do the things that God has gifted us for. Do the things that he's given us the ability to do. And use that as a team together. The other thing about uh, Mondays was always an opportunity. After we'd looked back, after we'd kind of looked around, and, and then the, la and the next thing we had to do was to look forward. And so we would change the tape, and, and, and it was old cassette tapes, right? You know, anyway, change the tape, and now we started to look through the upcoming opponent. Identifying the next team that we're going to play, what, in, in essence, to figure out who was our next enemy to face. And then, of course, what was our strategy? And again, this is the same thing we do on Sunday mornings. That when we gather together, it's about us figuring out who the real enemy is. Again, so often we're, we're attacking each other. If we're going to be a good team, we can't divide among each other. We can't be critical of one another. We need to be honest with one another about our mistakes. And certainly, but we can't dwell on those. We need to keep our eyes on the enemy and our job to, to attack who we're going against. The one that we need, really need to worry about. We need to know the keys to victory. And that's what Sunday mornings and communion is about. And in, when we're getting to know the keys of victory, there is no room in this time for fear. We <laughs> Jesus is not calling us to be defensive just to build a wall and try to contain, you know, you know, just stay in this safe place. To have this safe zone where we can be a Christian and we don't have to worry about the enemy attacking us. You know, if we just have a good defense, then we don't have to worry about it, right? We, we can just hide behind our walls and we just, you know, have... That's, this, that, there's no room for this. A football team will never win the game if they don't score any points. So there's no room for defensiveness. There's also no room for despair. I know sometimes we would be playing our next opponent would be one of the best opponents that we would have all year. Matter of fact, oftentimes one of the best in the state. And in the room, you could hear the seriousness. Oh boy, this is going to be a tough game. But there's no room for despair. There's no room for us to say, you know, we just throw up our hand. We, you know, evil has won. You know what, in our, in our culture right now, in America right now, there's some Christians that are throwing their arms up in the air and saying, it's over. Satan has won. What's the point? 
But that is not the point of Sunday mornings to come in and talk about how we are despaired and there's nothing we can do. We come here to, first of all, to remember that we are here to proclaim the death of Christ. It is the death of Christ that makes the difference. It is the death of Christ that broke the chains of sin. Satan is a defeated enemy. We know the end of the score, right? We know the score at the end of the game. It's just a matter of us playing the game. And we continue to proclaim his death until he comes. Jesus has conquered death. We, see, we can get out into this world and we can play crazy. We can play just uh, out of control almost in a sense. Well, not, not even almost. We can play out of control because if we die, it is not the end for us. Because not only did Jesus die, but he rose from the dead and he's coming back again. Amen? So when we gather today, we are not defensive. We are not under, in despair. We are fired up and ready to go because we are proclaiming the death of Jesus which changed everything and we know he's coming back so that our death will never be the end. Amen? All right, that's good. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 55. Where, O oh death, is your sting? <laughs> right? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Jesus, is, he's won. He's already won. Final thing we did on Mondays was, was we got out of our chairs. And, and literally, I mean, the video, video time was, I mean, the looking back, the looking around, the looking forward was about two hours long. Now, normally our practices were about two hours. So, but we were not done. Mondays was always a long practice. So after the film, after that two hours, we'd all get out of our desk and coach would say, all right, Helmets and shoulder pads on the field. So we didn't have to totally get totally in our football gear, but get helmets, shoulder pads, that's it. Walk out, get on the field. And the next thing we did is a walkthrough. And what we were walking through was just, uh, when, I, when I say walkthrough, I mean literally walkthrough. Like we would line up on offense. We'd do some time on offense. We'd line up everybody in place. We'd have a defense there as well. And then we would run plays, but it wasn't full speed. It was just like, you know, kind of hike the ball. The lineman would just take one step, and then the running backs would just kind of jog through the hole and this kind of thing. So it wasn't about timing. It was about just walking through the things that we needed to work on for that week and the things that we needed to fix for that week, but also thinking about our next opponent and maybe some new offensive plays that we were going to run and this kind of thing. So it was slow. It was simple. Right? And, and so often it was just the basics. I remember one of our Mondays, we did, we, for literally 45 minutes, we ran nothing but fullback at one and fullback at two. And if you don't know about football, those are the two most basic and simplest plays to run in football and offense. For 45 minutes, we ran that same play, just walking through it. And my job, I was not a fullback. Remember, I ran scared, so that means I ran around the end. So what did I do? Nothing for 45 minutes. It was like so boring, right? But anyway, but the point of it was to go through the basics, to remind ourselves of what we needed and to get that muscle memory going so that we could run that play better. The next game, 
Uh, I think 95% of our plays were fullback at one, fullback in two, and we destroyed the other team. They couldn't stop it. We just did it the whole time. Anyway, need to remember as a church when we gather, we need to remember the basics. We need to remind ourselves of what are the basics of Christianity. You know, so often we get, get uh, you know, even you know, a month ago when I'm preaching about women in ministry, this is a gray area. We can get so hung up on the gray areas. And it's always the gray areas that lead to division, it seems like. But if we could just, on Sunday mornings, come back to the basics a little bit and understand why we're here. What's the most important thing? What are the essentials? And if we can just walk through again those basic things, it will help us to get better at being who we're supposed to be. And this is what communion is all about. Folks, this is the basics right here. This, this is the basics of Christianity. It's all laid out right before me on this table. Something that we practice once a month. Some churches do it every week. But this is the basics. And when we're running through the basics, there's no room for preferences. You know, there's no room for the way I want to do it. There's no room for the way that, you know, makes me feel comfortable. You know, it's not about your worship style on Sunday mornings. It's not about, you know, what you, you know, the, you know doing the things in the service that you like. The focus is Jesus. We bend our will, we bend our preferences to that of our Savior. Amen? So when we show up on Sunday mornings, it's not about, I hope Laura plays that song that I like. No, it's about, hey, Lord, help me to worship you even if Laura plays a song I don't like. And she does it all the time. <laughs> There's also no room when we're remembering the basics for glitz and glamour. The, the, the video cameras weren't at Monday's practice. The news reporters weren't at Monday's practice. It, it wasn't about seller. I mean, we didn't even have full gear on. It wasn't about, you know, getting all excited and about, you know, all the, you know, that we've accomplished on Sundays, on Monday morning, or on Monday practices. That was saved for game day on Friday. We as a church, you know, this, we have a good time together, and it's awesome, but this isn't the point. This isn't where the glamour and the glitch should be. It's when Jesus steps in and empowers us in, on the field, in the middle of the battle. That's where the glitz and the glamour is. That's where there should be flashes going off, where we should be celebrating because Jesus did, did, just did something that changed the world. So what are the basics for us? Again, it's before us. It's first of all bread. The symbolism of this bread is that Jesus, first of all, took on flesh. See, Jesus was not just a spirit that came down. You know, God we know is spirit, right? This is reality of theology and truth that we understand in Scripture. That God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. But Jesus does. Now, Jesus is God as well. But the person of Jesus has a body. He became flesh. He took on flesh. He didn't become flesh. He he took on flesh. He added it to who he was. The fact that God of the universe took on flesh is a miracle and amazing. 
It's called the hypostatic union because when he took it on, he is fully human, but he's also fully God still. So it's 200%. That's what hypostatic union basically means, right? It's Jesus is 200%. You know, those people ever, you know, I, I always hated this and I still kind of do. You know, people say, I'm going to give 110%. Or I'm going to give 120%. Do you realize how percentage works? I mean, really, right? But Jesus, right? Jesus, 200%, right? He can do that, right? He's good with that. So, first of all, Jesus took on flesh. Second, Jesus died for us. It's broken bread. It's not just a whole piece of bread. It's broken bread. Jesus died for us. It's called substitution. We were meant to die, but Jesus died for us in our place. And third, it symbolizes that Jesus, it symbolizes Jesus' defeat of death resurrection. And, and again, he did not just raise from the dead spiritually. He rose physically. This is why it's important, these passages at the end of these gospel books that, that talk about the fact that he ate food with the disciples. If he was just spirit, he wouldn't have eaten food. There was no reason for him to, but he still has a physical body. Jesus is still physical. He's flesh. He's man. He's also still God. The symbolism of us eating the bread, when we take the bread and we put it into our mouth and eat it, what does that mean? It means several things. First of all, it's our admission that we need salvation. You know, so often, uh, we, well, not so often, sometimes we can look at, come to church and take communion and we just don't even think about what it means when we put this piece of bread in our mouth. And we can take it very pridefully sometimes, thinking that, oh, I'm all that. But no, when we take that bread and we put it in our mouth, it means something. It means that we're admitting that we need this. That Jesus broke his body for us, for me personally. It also is an admission that we believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is God in flesh. the Son of Man. It also is an acceptance of His sacrifice. We're, we're taking it into our body. We're saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And I'm accepting this sacrifice and recognizing again it's for me. And then finally, it's a commitment to surrender our life. Surrender it to Him. Because He gave His life for us, we now give our life for him. See, he had to physically die for us. We just have to symbolically die for him. We give up our will. We give up our desires. We give up our life so that he, for him, so that we'll, we're going to follow him wherever he leads. Second of all, the cup, symbolism of the cup is Jesus, first of all, pays for our sin. It's the atonement. Jesus pays for our sin. There's a debt that had to be paid because we, you know, we, we were sinners, had to be paid. And so Jesus pays for that with sin, with his poured out blood. Jesus also, with his blood, cleanses us. And this is about, this is imputed righteousness, which means that basically Jesus lived a perfect life. We lived a sinful life. But when Jesus gave his life on the cross and poured out his blood, we receive his righteousness. 
So that when God looks at us, this is how we have a restored relationship. So that when God interacts with us, he interacts with us based on Jesus' righteousness, not our sinfulness. So Jesus' blood cleanses us, which allows us to have this relationship and to receive the righteousness of Jesus. But finally, it symbolizes uh, Jesus giving life to us. the fact that we can be redeemed, that we can change, that we may live a life for many, many years falling off to the things of this world and our own desires. We can do all kinds of evil and horrible things, and then we can find Jesus, and his blood will give us new life, the strength to begin to live differently, to have a different motivation for what we're doing in our life and how we're living our life. This is the power of the blood to redeem. The symbolism of drinking this, when we drink and take the cup, first of all is, again, our admission of sin. Not only do we need a Savior, but we are sinful. Again, we can't skip over this. So often, we today in our culture, we want to skip over all the sin that we do and let's just focus on Jesus' love. No, we can't get to Jesus' love unless we focus on the sin. So let's check out the sin first and make sure we repent it. So we're admitting sin when we take the cup. And we're accepting, second of all, Jesus as our advocate. That we need Him to continue to restore our relationship with the Father. That if without Him, there's no hope for us. Next, we're accepting also His righteousness. That we're not going to beat ourselves up over the sin that we continue to commit. Because we realize that it's not our sin that will determine our fate anymore. It is now Jesus' righteousness that determines our fate. And finally, it's a commitment to let Jesus live through us. 